What's up, what's up, y'all? This is Dave. And this is Devin. And you're listening to the Dave and Dev Podcast. Dave and Dev. Gotta keep it real like Dave and Dev. On my job like Dave and Dev. Tell no lie like Dave and Dev. Some days I wanna stay in bed, but I get ready for the day ahead. I wanna complain, but I pray instead. Then I'm on my way to the Dave and Dev. And it go like, I don't need a crew. Don't play by he say, she say rules. Don't play, no, we can't do. I'd rather have faith while G-O-D make moves. So please stay cool. All, all I do is speak the truth on things I see they do. I'm a sinner myself. No lie, I need grace too. We lit like EKU. Yeah. Hey, good morning, Devin. How's it going, man? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, May 2nd. We made it to May in the quarantine. That is crazy. Um, it has, again, I say this every week, it seems like the every every day is the same. I, I keep forgetting what day it is. <laughs> so it, if it wasn't for this reminder that you give me every week, I wouldn't know. So Honestly, that's, that's why I do it, man. You know, I do it to, to help you out, bro. What's up, y'all? Today's show is brought to you by O'Donnell Financial Coaching. O'Donnell Financial Coaching exists to empower you to take control of your finances. Whether you are in debt and don't know where to start, need help creating a budget that works for your family and your life, or even if you have questions about what to do with your wealth and where it should go, Adam, the owner, is a certified master financial coach that can coach you through your financial situation with the experience of someone who has paid off debt and with the knowledge of someone who is building their financial future with budgeting and investing. Adam offers coaching online, which is a quick and convenient way to get you the help that you need. Get in touch with him today to schedule your first session at adamcoachesmoney.com and connect with him on Instagram at adamcoachesmoney. And let them know that Dave and Dev sent you. I'm super, super pumped because, again, like we've said every week, this has been one of those things that's been kind of keeping me, hey, I, this comes on Saturday, this comes on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, and the guest that we have today, um, Dave, we've talked about this for, uh, since probably like we started this podcast, so we should, the dude, we should get this guest on today, so yes. this is going to be a real interesting talk, and plus, he's got a book coming out, so Dave, you want to introduce him? Yeah, 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 so our guest today on the Coaches Clinic slash really just like talking to this dude but like Devon and i have known this guy for so what six seven years at this point um yeah. and so uh i'm super excited to introduce our guest for today mike austin mike talk to the people tell them a little bit about yourself man and, and we're super excited to have you on hey guys i'm glad to be on tell them about myself well I'm about to turn 51, so that means I'm getting old, but I'm not a boomer, so <laughs> I don't want to hear any okay yeah, boomer okay, stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm a, uh, actually a philosophy professor at Eastern Kentucky University, so I've been here since 2004. I uh, teach a lot of stuff in ethics, philosophy of religion, uh, do some sports ethics, right? So uh, part of my job 
is writing, uh, doing research in writing and philosophy. Um, so I'm interested in questions about uh, nature and existence of God, but my primary focus is ethics and more particularly um, questions about like our character and, and how that relates to living a good flourishing life. Mm. Um, more importantly, I've got one wife, three daughters and two dogs. <laughs> I'm glad you specified. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's right. Got to keep the numbers right. Um, and yeah, we're uh, like everybody just, I mean, I'm grateful, you know, both my wife's a nurse and uh, so obviously she's still working and I'm working although online. So I'm grateful for that, given the difficulties that many people are going through. But man, like everybody else, just the, the psychological strain of this whole weirdness is getting old. So, and I'm also a uh, high school girls soccer coach at a, a, a school here in town, which I've done that for three years, um, coached middle school soccer before that, and then a lot of other kinds of youth soccer. So anyway, that's the short me or the short story <laughs> of me. Oh man, I'm glad you clarified too that you weren't short because you are uh, you're a pretty tall guy. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And and you're a Can- you're a Kansas City fan, so uh, oh, hey, Super Bowl! On, congrats, man! Congrats on the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't know if you can understand. Hey, hey hold, well, up, actually, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. The Bengal, the Bengals fan, We're can Bengals understand. and Browns fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course we mean, So you can you can't understand. Yeah. What do you mean? It's not like you. Oh no, yeah, you're but, not talking to Patriots fans here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you guys are good men. You're not Patriots. That's right. Fans. Um, yeah. So take that, Adam. <laughs> and <laughs> shot fired. But yeah, no, it's unbelievable. Like, there's a couple times where I'm just like, I need a boost, so I'll just fire up the DVR and watch the whole game or the fourth quarter, and I'm like, oh, I still can't believe it. Like it's, it's that's amazing. Yeah, all the years, and and of course we had years in the '90s where we, we were like the winningest team in the regular season, and then just lose the first round of the playoffs. So I remember, yeah, I can't I remember believe. those Kansas City Chiefs teams with like Priest Holmes, and like I remember that I remember oh, them yeah. coming into Cincinnati being undefeated and us beating them, and I was like, man, I can't believe we just beat that team. They were so good. Like I thought for sure that was a Super Bowl team right there for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we we had some really good. You know, it seemed like we usually had a really good defense, really good offense, but never put it all together. You know, and even if, yeah, and the times that we did, then we would just even had like strong on both sides blow up. But man, I still, while well, I'm looking at my uh, picture on the wall of the Sports Illustrated cover right now, Mahomes, um, <laughs> hey, you're t- the close kingdom yeah, the comeback. The closest thing I can get to that is the 2016 Cavaliers championship. Sure, yeah. and, and so, like, I, I mean, like you just said, you had the Sports Illustrated uh, magazine in, in your office, and I got I got the, the cover of the Plain Dealer with LeBron James holding the trophy Ooh. in my office. Gives me, gives me chills, yeah. bro. Gives me chills. Um, so cool. Well, I'll, I'll get us uh, back on track a little bit. Here. Uh, but like, so you, you mentioned at the end there that you're a high school coach. Uh, and again, this is our coaches clinic. So like, what got you into coaching? Yeah, it's, you know, I did all kinds of sports growing up. Um, my, I'm trying to think, I think it was in college. And then right after and maybe in high school too, my dad started, actually it was high school. I was thinking about this, but couldn't remember the dates. My younger brother, he's four years younger. We both played football growing up. And so I actually helped coach my younger brother's team Mm. with my dad and a couple other guys. So that's when I started. And then when uh, my, our oldest daughter was 
gosh, maybe six. She she wanted to play, uh, you know, recreational soccer like when I was in grad school in Colorado, and they needed coaches, so I did it because I'd done a little bit of clinics and some refereeing. So yeah, that's what got me into it. Um, all three of my daughters have played soccer. The youngest one is the one that kept playing um, through high school. Sophie kind of got really sick. She's a that's beast. Right, old Sophie got. Yeah, so yeah, she plays for the club team at Western Kentucky right now. And um, so, yeah, I started coaching those girls, and then Sophie became more serious about it, and that's when I started learning more about the game and just kind of ended up, uh, yeah, ended up coaching middle school and now the high school team. So Nice. So you also, um, you write a lot about ethics, and uh, you, you recently just had an article come out, and it was uh, How Can Athletes cult- Cultivate the Virtue of Faith for, on uh, Baylor's blog? Yeah, um, you talked about this concept of athletic faith. Can you uh, go a little bit more in detail about what that is and how that can relate to uh, athletes coming into next season? Yeah, you bet. There's this. It's really an excellent thing that I'm a part of at Baylor called the Faith and Sports Institute. So they do all kinds of cool stuff. They had a camp there last summer. They're supposed to have one this summer, but it got uh, with all this stuff got shut down. But yeah, the idea. If you think about faith and in, in sports. Right. There's if faith is just trust or entrusting yourself or some part of yourself to somebody or something. And, you know, I mean, athletes do that all the time. Right. We entrust ourselves to our teammates, our coaches. Um, it's not, you know, of course, you some coaches and teammates aren't necessarily worthy of that trust. Right. So you want to be wise about it. But, yeah, think of like, a, well, you know, watch the I've just as probably a lot of your listeners, the last right. dance. Yeah. Right. And so. One of the things that changed the Bulls was when Jordan started actually trusting his teammates, right? When he had Pippen, Rodman, and instead of doing it all himself, right? You know, that game where he started dishing to Paxson over and over. Um, I remember watching that. Um, But, yeah, so it's that kind of thing, right? So there's that athletic faith where I don't take it all on me. I do my part, but I'm going to trust my teammates. I'm going to trust my coach. And if I've got a disagreement, you know, we can talk through it, but – but yeah, it's not all about me. It's about us. That's nice. That's a really interesting point too. So like, you know, as a believer, Mike, like how do you, um, how do you relate that faith as a coach and it not be like over the top or um, fake, but also has impact, right? Because like that's, if, if we look at our ultimate goal as Christians is to further the gospel, right? Um, and, and to make God known to right. others. And so, like, how do you do that as a coach and stay inside the boundaries of, like, the society that says, like, hey, look, you, you can't, like, talk about your faith as a, you know what I'm saying? Like, that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. It's a good question. It's something I've thought about because, you know, it's, it's mirrored in the, you know, as a professional in their classroom. Although questions about God come up all the time in philosophy, right? right? You can't avoid it. But, but, yeah, but, yeah, as a coach, like, I mean, I think, you, yeah, you want to be – respectful right because i wouldn't want a kid on my team who doesn't have you know is not a christian or has you know maybe they're maybe they're hindu um or atheist or just kind of you know i mean these are high schoolers they might have no clue what they believe Mm -hmm. right (laughs) um so i i you don't want to use your authority or power that you have as a coach to sort of influence them that way but there are times where i've been honest with my players like they know where i'm coming from and it was not, it was the season before last, uh, you know, not one of my proudest, it wasn't terrible, but not one of my proudest moments as a coach. And, 
you know, there was just some bad stuff going on in the field. And I said something that I thought was under my breath, but it was loud enough that some girls picked it up and, you know, then it ran like wildfire. So we had a talk, um, after that game, the next practice, I said, look, I, I shouldn't have said what I said. Um, you know, it goes against my, my spiritual beliefs, the kind of person I want to be. And so things like that, I think, can, can open up conversations. And I've had, had girls talk to me about, about their faith, you know, and they initiate it. That opens the door. Um, or girls that I know are strong believers. I can work, you know, bring that more into our one-on-one discussions. Um, so I think as a coach, your primary job is to be a good person and help and then help your players, right, become better players and better people, right? Better athletes, better people. And so the primary thing we do with our faith is to live it out. And then as there are opportunities that are appropriate to talk about it, we take those. Mm, the philosopher, the philosopher using, using words like good. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And you have to define good by your spiritual background though, right? Yeah, for me, I mean, good ultimately is grounded in in God and God's character, God's nature. I mean, philosophers, of course, argue about the nature of good and still do. But yeah, that's for me, that's where it's grounded in, grounded in my faith. And I really think it's, you know, it's there are really good, strong, like old and contemporary philosophical defenses of that view that go- that goodness ultimately is grounded in who God is. And that's all goodness. That's not just, you know, we tend to think of our religious life as separate from the rest of life. But man, anytime we come across goodness in the world, that's part of the creation that God called good. And that includes Mm. sports, right? So, yeah. And I think that, I mean, I would would call that for, if you, the good, I would see, I would call that like common grace. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Someone who, if if someone's a non-believer, but they're doing something, philanthropic yeah like that could still be just a common grace that god has given to these people but i also see um like we wrestle with texts like you know romans in, in romans 3 where it says that no one is good um so how do you how do you wrestle with with the text that says like no one is good but then at the same time you're trying to figure out what what is ultimately what is what is a good endeavor yeah so there's we have to be like we have to look at stuff a little beyond the surface because that can seem contradictory, yeah. right? Um, no, but I think, you know, Christian theology and, and scripture teaches that, that human beings all have goodness in them because we're made in God's image or and, and the potential for goodness. But we're never going to fully realize that apart from union with God. And I think the point of, of Romans 3 is that no one is good in the sense that right, none of us measure up to God's standards, right? So we might have some goodness in us, but we're not, all things considered, mm. we're not good, right, apart from God. And and look, as we know, believers, we still, we, we all have a long way to go, yep. right? No matter how good, no matter how much progress we make, right, by being filled with the Spirit and trying to live out our faith with, you know, union with God, there's still a pretty big gap between us and Jesus. So, um, So that's kind of how I do that. And then I think of goodness, not just in us, but just in the world, right? Yeah. Um, you know, business can be good or bad. Sports can be good or bad. But but all these things, they can reflect God's nature, right? Even sports can mm. reflect the Trinity, right? I remember reading reading a passage in uh, back when I was in seminary. Um, 
you know, I mean, the Trinity is complicated, but one thing that's true about it is there's this unity in diversity, right? And, you know, you can see that yeah. in a sports team, right? You got you people know, from all over the um, world, look and, different, have different beliefs and backgrounds, and they come together for one common goal. Yeah, and that's actually, I mean, of course, I love most sports, but one of the things I love about I started following soccer, the like professional soccer the past 10 years or so. You look at some of these teams, like in the English Premier League, I'm an Arsenal supporter. <laughs> Got to get that in. Um, but, but look, they're, yeah, they're guys from England, Spain, um, Nigeria, you know, all over the world on this one team. And it's, there's something cool about Man, that. Man, that's awesome. That, I, I, I totally agree. And that's something I think about too when it comes to like global sports like soccer. Uh, right is that you just have these people that you know you have your national teams where everybody's for the most part from the same country i think that's debatable in certain yeah. areas <laughs> yeah there's some there's some loopholes people i went to germany on yeah. vacation i'm a german citizen okay i've been there my i've been there a whole day <laughs> yeah. uh but no uh and then when you get into like the you know the club teams obviously you can pick up pluck whoever you know so um yeah i really appreciate that so let's let's dive in a little bit uh into your book uh let me first of all say how cool it was to see that um you got a little plug in christianity today that's awesome like that's amazing yeah how did that feel yeah hopefully well it was good i mean i knew that the i mean i was hoping that you know the publisher would do that and i'm hopeful that it can get a review um sooner or later there uh, as well as some other places. But, yeah, it was fun to see it, and it made it seem more real that, you know, it's coming out. It's coming out May 12th. Hey. I'll get that plug in. But hey, we'll, yeah, we'll put a link up on our page. Uh, we'll put you know, a link up on our page. So so tell us a little right. bit about the book. Yeah, so it, basically I would written a few things online, just kind of fell into this this issue about about sort of guns and how we should think about guns and gun violence as Christians, especially in America, because it's kind of, there's a unique situation in the U S with guns, right? A lot of other countries aren't like it. And so I, what I wanted to do is just think, well, let's, let's just step back and look at this from a Christian perspective, right? What is, what kind of scripture is relevant here? What sort of Christian theology is relevant? And so the book is really for anybody who's interested in thinking about, about guns and violence from a Christian point of view. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian, right? But um, some of the chapters are more general, but most of them focus on, I mean, I'm writing from within a Christian perspective. So I'm trying to understand uh, these issues in that way. So it's, you know, I guess, oh, I don't yeah. know, do you want more details about Yeah, like, yeah, let's, let's get or... into it a little bit. All right. Yeah, so basically I think, if if you're on either extreme of the gun debate, you're, there's going to be stuff in the book you don't like and stuff that you do like. <laughs> so, kind of. Um, so basically, so like, you're, you're making everyone. Upset. <laughs> there's, there's no... Yeah, exactly. One of my. That's basically it. Yeah, my um, for better or for worse, one of my philosophical heroes is Soren Kierkegaard. He was a, a Danish philosopher and he was a Christian, but he was like saved his harshest critiques for kind of the religious establishment in his country. Um, so the atheist people didn't, weren't too happy with him because he talked about having a deep faith. And then the Christians were kind of upset because he talked about having an actual genuine faith. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's kind of, I didn't do that on purpose with a book, but here, so one example is this, I argue that there actually is not just a, a 
constitutional right to bear arms like we have in the U.S., um, but there's actually a moral right, right? So, but that moral right's not an absolute right. So that's where people, you know, a strong gun rights person might be a little more hesitant. Um, I point out that there are some, you know, lies and bad arguments on both sides of the gun debates. So, you know, people say violence never solves anything. When the fact is, it does, right? It, yeah. it's, it's, it, it ended World War II with the Nazis, right? Yeah. Um, police use violence to stop worse violence. But, but that doesn't mean that we should always go to violence, right? And especially as Christians, right? I think we often ask, you know, in sort of the just war, just violence tradition, is violence justified? And that's an important question. And the point of just war theory and applying it in personal life is to restrain our impulse to violence. But the deeper question is, even if it is justified, is there a nonviolent solution right, and to this problem? And I, I, would, I think I would agree on, with you on that is because when, when you're a Christian, God gives you, he gives you other, other methods to, to, to fight. Um, so is violence always the answer? No, um, we, we, we do have we do have a high priest who's interceding for us. And so we, we can't we can pray, pray to God that, that some of these things can change. But I do. And maybe you disagree with this, but the, there is um, other methods that that like, would you say it's a it's that it's a biblical for Christians to defend themselves or no? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I want to I want to say it can be, um, but I'll, to be honest, over the the course of like the research for this book, I'm not a pacifist, but I definitely move that direction. Like I really think what I argue for in the book is we should be peace builders, which means we should do all we can to avoid mm. violence. And so, you know, 20 years ago, pacifism seemed crazy to me, um, but when you actually start reading through scripture and looking at in it in more depth. It's, it's hard to avoid that the weight of the Bible definitely is we should be avoiding uh, violence. And especially, I just became really persuaded that the model of Christ is a model of self-sacrifice, of self-denial, yeah. of giving your life. And so I think, yeah, I just think, yeah, I want to op- leave open that there are times where it's justified. But mm-hmm. I, what I want to argue is we've got to be focusing on building peace and really being willing to, to sacrifice a lot more than we tend to. Um, rather than turning to violence. Yeah, and I think that, so I never want to, I, the, the point of me owning a gun is that I don't want to kill somebody. Um, I, I don't think that's ever the intention, like for me at least, it's, it's like I don't want to kill somebody. But it's more so for, uh, so, uh, pres- like to preserve the life of myself and the ones that I love around me. Yeah. Um, so for example, like I, and I, I, I do want to read your book when it comes out on uh, hey. 10 days, but, um, I, so for, for me, when I read, uh, when the conversation goes to, to Christians and evangelicals, a lot of times that conversation is geared towards white Christians. Mm-hmm. And so like being a black evangelical, who, who like um, and then hearing stories about like how a lot of our churches are are targeted because my church that I go to is 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 in downtown in in, in Lexington, and so um, 
lots of times there I mean we we have had people with who have violent criminal records try to come into our church. Yeah. Um so what would you say to someone who goes to my church like about gun ownership? Yeah, I I don't have a problem. Well, look, I mean I own a gun. I just it's a shotgun so it's not you know not a handgun but i so i am a gun owner i grew up around guns uh, with my dad's like a gun enthusiast still is to this day so i'm not you know i'm not like a ivory tower person who just freaks out about guns um, but what i would say is i think that you can make a case from a christian point of view that that owning a firearm for self-defense and to defend like you said your loved ones is justifiable um, what i would also say is and in the book, I say, if you're going to make that decision, we shouldn't just make it too easily, right? It should be something done through prayer, through counsel, through spirit-led wisdom. And you've got, like, to carry, uh, here's what I would say, to carry a firearm in a church, which isn't exactly your question, but that's something that, that people do. Mm-hmm. Or to carry it in public, right? Or even to have one in self-defense in the home. You've got to realize you're taking the risk that you might accident- accidentally um, shoot an innocent person, right? Yeah. And you're, you're, you have to say, even if it's just in self-defense or to defend my wife and kids or whatever it is, you've got to say, I'm will, you've got to realize I'm by doing this, I'm willing to kill another human being made in God's image. And those, I just don't want us to take those decisions too lightly. So I, I push back on, on some of that in the book, but I do say that, look, there is, there's a right and, and I think we can, from Scripture, carve out space for that. Um, the other question I think is important is to ask for believers and really anybody who's concerned about it is, what's the possible impact of this on my character, right, for better and for worse? Um, and so I look at some of the psychological data about that. Um, and there are certain elements of gun culture today that that are, yeah, that are problematic, right? They tend to kind of create a a quick fire response and kind of dehumanize people. And that's not all gun owners. That's just a segment of people um, that, that the cult it's called gun culture 2.0. People started calling it that. Um, and you can see mm-hmm. some issues there. So, so I would want to be careful, but I'm not going to say Christians shouldn't own a firearm. Yeah. So would you, so you're not going to make an absolute statement on should you carry in church or not? No, what I would say is if you're going to do it, you better be really well trained. Like ideally what I would like churches to do if they could is like, well, what the church I'm we're part of now there, they have an off duty police officer who's there, right? That's somebody who's trained. That's not possible for all, for all churches. They can't afford it. There, there aren't enough you know, people available to do that. So if you're going to have somebody carry in church, I'd want, I'd want it to be done under the, the knowledge and authority of the elders and the pastor, you know, the church leadership. And you've, you've got to be well-trained if you're going to do that. Yeah. Um, because, because we overestimate our ability to, re, you know, police make mistakes, soldiers make mistakes, and they're well-trained. I can, if I could go buy a gun and get my concealed care in Kentucky, I don't need to do anything now. I can just get it. Well, I, I don't really want to be in, you know, in that guy's line of fire. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like at our church, we have we have an officer that comes and then we do have other we have a security team and then they, they are trained and they document every time they, they do their trainings. And so the, the police officer there, um, she helps she helps them with the training at, at times too, to make sure that that 
that they're safe. Um, because like our church, it, it can be, a, it can be a target. I mean, it's historically yeah. black church is down, da- is downtown. And so, um, that kind of fear. And, and then, I mean, realizing that we do have older people in the church that, that, I mean, this could be, they, they could be targets. Mm-hmm. And so, um, just using that, uh, like, I, I mean, I guess the argument that we, we're taking another image bearer at that time, um, at that time, like when that, if a person comes into the church and they're already, they are, they have the intent to kill. Um, I would say that that person is depraved mm-hmm. and that, I mean, it's like, They've already chosen death at that point, whether it be by someone in the church or whether it be by the state or by like the police, like that person who's already come in has already chosen that, that path of death. Yeah. I mean, there is like, there's a one sort of philosophical argument people give is that if, if I'm in the act of killing somebody else or form the intent and I'm ready to carry it out, then I, in a, then I, you know, I'm ignoring their right to life. And when I do that, I forfeit my own. Um, if you think of it from a Christian ethical point of view, right? What, you know, the great command, love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem in a fallen world is people want to say, look, how can you say you're going to love your neighbor if you're going to shoot him? But if I'm in church, I might have 50 or 100 or 300 other neighbors. And so it's like, I can't, in a fallen world, we have to make tough choices. And so I'm, my perspective is, yeah, it's a difficult decision. We've got to take it seriously. But uh, Dallas Willard, he's a was a philosopher at USC and wrote some some excellent Christian works. He mentioned in one place that, look, maybe loving my neighbor might mean I have to engage in violence to protect others. Um, and one thing I've thought of, I, I'm, I'm not going to like say I believe this, but I've entertained the idea of, is there a way that my that my love for that depraved person? Um, is it consistent with loving him to kill him, right? To prevent him from doing a horrible act. Maybe, maybe not, but it's at least worth thinking through a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's something that I've had to, that, that you have to think about because if that person is devaluing the Imago day. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Look at hey. Deborah bringing up the. <laughs> but is it, but is it, is it proper for me to like, in defense, eliminate that person. Yeah. You know, my own, I mean, I think it can be, and here's my, like for me, I can't imagine just for my own personal convictions, ever carrying a gun into worship service. Mm -hmm. But I think this is one of those things that Christians of, of good heart and mind seeking God can disagree on. Right. So I go back to some of those passages uh, in scripture that talk about, you know, people have different convictions about, what day is a Sabbath or, you know, whether to eat meat or not sacrifice to idols. And and Paul kind of says a lot of this stuff, we just have to allow for difference in our individual consciences. So I wouldn't do it, but I'm not going to condemn somebody else who does as long as they are well-trained and have thought through and prayed through the ramifications of that. I think the one thing that I would uh, add to that too, Mike, is that like my pastor, I really liked how when we were going through our class to like become a member of the church, he mentioned like open-handed and closed-handed issues. So like closed-handed issues is like, 
we're like saved by grace through faith, right? Like nobody, like if you're going to argue that in the church, like we should probably not like <laughs> allow you to be a member. You know what I'm saying? Like if you like that, Jesus died on the cross yeah. and came back to life to defeat sin and death. Right. So like, those are like things that are like close handed issues that like we're are really not up for debate, but like open handed issues being like, Hey, we may take a stance on this and we may disagree, but like we still lovingly have the same fulcrum, like the same center of our faith. So Yeah, that's important. And I think the problem with especially evangelicals today, at least, I don't know what it's like in in the black church as much, but at least among white evangelicals in America, we want to make every single thing uh, kind of all or nothing, politically, morally, spiritually. Which is extremely frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, that's the the very that just undermines unit the unity that we could have and the, the impact we could have in the world and bringing God's kingdom. So so it's a good point to raise here. Yeah, which okay. So last thing about your about your book that I ask is that what is one thing that you haven't been able to say or that you haven't written on any social media about the book that you would want people to know about this book before it comes out. That's a good question that I haven't, I would think, hmm. well, I don't know if I've written about this on social media or not, but I guess what I want people to know is that I'm doing my best to really be objective and fair and come at this from a Christian perspective, um, faithful to the scriptures, faithful to my understanding of the nature of God, and that that given that there's going to be something in there for everybody that that'll resonate and probably something in there that you'll disagree with. But my aim is to get you get the reader to think through it and pray through it on their own. Right. And so if they don't agree with me, that's great. And the point is let's actually take some time, step back and work through these issues from mm. the perspective of our faith, not just perspective as American, as American citizens. And I think we too often tend to, to look at it through that lens. We Christian, here's what I, I would say. Don't cite the Second Amendment like it's Scripture. Yeah. Right? It's important. I'm not devaluing the Constitution, right? I mean, obviously. And it's pretty clear. I mean, the Supreme Court's, you know, said in 2008 that it's an individual right. But there's a separate question for Christians, and it's, you know, what's Scripture have to say about this? And so that's what I'm trying to help us work through together and develop convictions. Yeah, well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to read it. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we had you on to talk about to talk about it and to answer some questions about it. Um, it's going to be exciting. Once again, everybody comes out in ten days on May on May twelfth. All right, you can I, you can pre order it right you can get on Amazon, right? Yeah, it's available now. You can go my maybe you can put this link in the notes, but my michaelwaustin.com. That's my website. There's link a bunch of different places you can get it. I think it's probably the same price I've ever right now, but they should sure. go on sale at some point. Hey man, you got it going. You got it going for twenty two dollars right now on paper. Awesome. Well, hey, yep, listen, Mike. Go. Before we end, Devron's asked this question to every coaches clinic guest, and I got to ask you too. And let me let me first say that there's no real right answer, but there are plenty of wrong answers. <laughs> so, what, <laughs> in right. your opinion, is the greatest sports movie of all time? Oh man, you know, for me, it's it's gonna be Listen, Rocky. Like, that's a that's oh, a right answer. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. that no, that, it no, it ain't Dave. No, no, no. It, 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 that is brother, a it, right it, answer. That ain't the right answer. That's a... <laughs> he he lost. 
Yeah, but dude, the dude drank. He like lived in a hole and drank like six raw <laughs> eggs in a glass. Man. To lose, he did all that to lose. That's what I'm talking about. Like, you like, I mean, that's the same people who say Friday Night Lights is the is the greatest movie. They still lost. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, but okay. How about if I say Rocky Two? Will that make you happy, Devin? Since he won that one, I didn't like. Oh him my god! Because I mean, like, if, it, if we're just being real about it, he's not. He's not. He's not beating Apollo Creed. But I mean, maybe I'm right. slipping on a bad day. All right, I'm sticking with the first Rocky because even though he lost, it's like that's just a classic story, man. Some guy out of nowhere, get, they think he's going to be a pushover. They set up a fight that's supposed to be easy just to, you know, kind of get some publicity and dude like delivered a beating even though he got, you know, beat. You think it's better than Remember the Titans? Yeah, and it's probably just because yeah. it's one it's from my childhood, right? You know, so it's like one of, you know, it's kind of like when you like I'll, I've started listening to music now that I didn't really like that much when I was in high school, but it was around and you kind of like it's, it gives that sort of I mean, that vintage feel, but yeah, there's just something about the Rocky movies uh, and especially the first one. So yeah, I saw your your top ten albums that you that you that you. Uh, oh you yeah, yeah. Thanks for tagging me in that, by the way. No problem. Thanks for giving me the freedom to stop doing that <laughs> once a day because that gets old. Yeah, for sure. Well, Mike, it has been an <laughs> ultra pleasure. I'm super excited to get this bad boy out and and get people listening and and to read your book in ten days. So. Uh, can't wait to support you in that. And, uh, we appreciate you, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate having, are you guys having me on and keep up the good work on the podcast, man? Yeah. Come back anytime. Absolutely. Well, guys, until next time, it's been real. Peace. Peace.